Today we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. I'm glad that you're here. We're going to talk about putting off impurity and putting on purity. Uh, before we get into this, I want to really celebrate what this message is going to be. So I'm glad that you're here. If you're new, it's a great time to be a part of our church. And we're going through the whole book of Ephesians verse by verse. And when we took on this section of Ephesians, we started to learn that there was a moral code with following God. All, all you and I have to do is just literally read this and take a step back and go, do I believe this? When Jesus died on the cross, why did he die? Was it for sinners to become saints, to be made new in the image of God, created in righteousness and holiness, to actually obey the commands? Or was it so we could just get a ticket to heaven and be as jacked up as we were before we asked him? I mean, does Jesus save you? If he does, what does he save you from? He saves you from sin. He saves you from death, hell, and the grave. You are saved from all of those things. Why should we, and I want you to hear me today, and I'm not trying to pull out my little small pastor violin, but, but I have to talk to my own kind here as pastors, and I want, I want them to listen to me because a lot of them listen to me online and different things. I just, I just have to ask, as pastors, are we supposed to skip over these things because it's difficult for the average person to get because they've been trained so much in their brain to be conditioned to be a sinner? I am a sinner. I must sin. Don't tell me otherwise. Oh, I'll feel judged and condemned. You know, are, are we just supposed to skip over all of that? Or are we supposed to empower believers, even if the truth confronts, but we do it in love? Now, thank you, because that, I need to hear that. And I think pastors need to hear that. It, there is no joy in my heart in telling somebody they're a child of the devil. Okay, there, there's, there's no joy in my heart to, to go and tell somebody this because let's, let's read verse 10, okay? And then we'll get to the message. Some may say it's the first introduction. Because now the author says it so clearly in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. He says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. This is how we'll know. You will know based on their memes on Facebook. If they put Christian memes on Facebook, you know you're dealing with the child of God. If they say with their words, I'm a child of God, thumbs up, they're a child of God. That's how you know. And a child of the devil is somebody with an upside-down pentagram, 666 tattooed on their forehead, fangs in their mouth, and they listen to rock and roll. Marilyn Manson, Slayer, Metallica. That, is that how it says you'll know? Look at what it says. This is how you'll know who the children of God are, those who have been born again, and those who are children of the devil who have not been born again yet. So by default, they're born in the this, this sinfulness. They're just like their father, the devil, though God is merciful to children until we make our own conscious decision. But here's how you'll know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Is there any confusion? You want to see it in the Greek? You know, do you want to try to pronounce it? You want to spend, you know, looking at the word right and what right means? It means righteousness. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. 
I'm a sinner. I do sinful things. Nobody's perfect. Okay, let me look it up in the Bible. Who's the one that says I'm a sinner? Who's the one that says I do sinful things? Oh, bing, bing, bing. It is children of the devil. Is that how I'm supposed to perceive you? Now, granted, we're not here to judge their salvation. More than likely, they truly know God, but they have not been taught. And so because of that, they have a compromising pastor who says, don't you start no stuff with me. Don't expect me to be like Jesus. Come on. And there won't be no stuff with you. Don't start no stuff with me. Won't be no stuff with you. Compromising pastors preaching to compromising uh, parishioners. And there you have bad theology, bad understanding of what God created us to do. What is the beauty of the Christian faith? The beauty of the Christian faith is that when we come to Jesus, we actually can pray the kind of prayers that he taught us to pray. The prayer of, of the Our Father that says, Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Do you think there's ever going to be a temptation that you and I face that, the, that Jesus is going to say, Well... Go ahead and do it. We're good. You know what, angels? They've been doing some really good stuff lately, so let's just let them have this one. Shh, don't tell anybody. Do you think there's ever a temptation where Jesus says, you know what, I really didn't see this one coming, and you are in a bad position right now. Your boss is asking you to do something against the rules. I know you need this check, so you know what? I got you. Do you think that's ever the way it is? Do, do you think, well, listen, let's just think through this. Do you think there's ever a sin that is just so powerful, it's almost like that person at the wedding dance that throws out that hook to you, and then you're like, no, nah, man, I don't want to dance. And then they throw it out, and it's so powerful, you're like, <laughs> and they reel you in. Do you think there's any sin that just, oh, the, oh, if the devil pulls out this one, I'm hooked, and he's just reeling me in, and... I have no choice but to come. Look what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. All temptation is common to mankind. Even as perverse as it can get, it still starts with being perverted. Off the original version is perversion. So any sin is missing the mark, and it's common to mankind. That's our default position as sinners. That's why we shouldn't live as common men. That's why we must be born again to live like God the Son, the Son of God. Sons of men become sons and daughters of God. Are you listening? The Son of God became the Son of Man, that the sons and daughters of men might become the sons and daughters of God. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is what? God is what? God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's Christianity. That's what Christianity looks like. Our sermon series is on the book of Ephesians, teaching us to be in Christ, to be in this safe place here in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit represented in the Trinity, and to understand that in Christ, we have a new identity. We have a new spiritual nature, which is greater than our sinful body we were born in. So we don't have two natures fighting for each other. We have one nature, and one crucifies the other. Just like 
like when you are sinful, you could never do righteous things and please God. No matter how many times you quote unquote kept the commands, you were still dirty in God's eyes. You can't be saved by those good works. And it's the same way. Now that you're born again, you are not to give in to any of the sinfulness because now you please God. Now, what happens when a sinner does something good? The sinner sees that God is working in their life to teach him the moral law. What happens when a Christian, a saint, does something bad? They recognize that they can still be tempted and fall into sin. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. But that doesn't mean the righteous man says, well, since I can fall seven times get back up, I might as well put on the speedo, the swimming cap, and start falling into sin all the time. The idea is forgiveness gives us permission to go bold and live holy, not to keep in the rap race or the gerbil wheel of sin. Forgiveness is like the person going across the tightrope knowing that there's a net to protect them. They don't go onto the tightrope and start diving off into the net and abusing grace. That's one of the things I actually wanted to ask another poll of is should we keep on sinning that grace can keep on abounding? Because that's exactly what Paul said we don't do because people in his time were saying that. They were saying, Paul, hey, let me understand this. You mean when I sin, God forgives me, right? Yeah. And that shows that God's really gracious when he forgives all my sins. Yeah. So how about this? What if I keep sinning and he keeps gracing? Does that really show how awesome he is? And Paul literally said, God forbid, don't do that. That's not how we show the grace of God. So how do we show the grace of God? By continuing to sin and be forgiven? No, grace is power in your hour of need so that you don't sin. Grace shows you that you have a better way. You have an identity in Christ. Amen? And so when we look at the book of Ephesians, I have all the notes online and on our app. You guys can go back over. We're looking at this passage, and I don't, like I said, have time to read it all. And, and I want you to make sure I'm in context here, so don't take just my word for it. Go home and read it. But I want you to see in chapter 5 where we're going to find our text today because we're going to talk about taking off impurity and putting on purity. So that should be good news. That should literally be, literally be like us hearing God's going to clean up our mess and give us a message. Take us out of our tests and give us a testimony. We're going to stop wearing dirty clothes. We're going to put on new clothes. That's what the commands of God should sound like to us. I don't have to be like the son of the devil or a daughter of the devil anymore. I have the privilege of following Jesus. Now follow along right here as it says, chapter 5, verse 1 of Ephesians says, follow whose example? So we are all commanded to follow God's example. Follow God's example. At any point, can you now say, I can't follow his example, I'm a sinner. No, because that's why you are commanded to be born again. You're born again first, then you do good works. You don't do good works and then become born again. These people haven't misunderstood. They're thinking that being born again means they do a bunch of good works and then God at the end of the day says, see, you're born again. And the excuse that they're making here is I never do enough good works, so I'm never going to reach that. So God just has to forgive me and bring me to heaven then because I'm just messing up all the time. But the Bible says you are saved by grace through faith. Not, this is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God and that no one can boast. And then it says, for we are his handiwork or his masterpiece created in Christ. Jesus to do what? To do good works. That's in the prior chapter, Ephesians, uh, two prior chapters, Ephesians 2.10. So we are God's handiwork first. So are we created in Christ Jesus first or do we do good works first? What comes first, created or good works? Created. Now you're created to do what? Good works. So now you can take the command of Jesus here to follow God's example and say, I can do that. Do you do that in your own strength? 
You do that because you're born again in the image of Christ and, and, and able to do it. That's why the scripture says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That's not just so that you can get a raise on your job, though I appreciate you getting motivated by that, but it's meant to have you understand that the temptation out there doesn't change your identity in here. And then I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. The all things there is not, it's not get a raise, a promotion, find a good parking spot at the favorite restaurant today. No, the all things there are the all things God commands you to do morally. It's the moral life of God that he gives you the ability to fulfill. So let me just give it to you like this, really simple. Two examples. Does my son Lucas learn mathematics first or is he born first? He's born. Do we learn and follow God's commands first or are we born again first? Born again first. Can you do what an eagle does, fly 10,000 feet up in the air right now with your own wings? No, because you're not born of an eagle. Those that are born of eagles, can they do what eagles do at 10,000 feet? Can sinners keep the commands of God and follow God's example? Because they're not born of God. They are children of the devil. Can those who are born of God do what God does? Yes, because they were created to do such a thing. You were created to be God's handiwork, to do the good works prepared for you to do in advance. It's already been set up. He's looking at all the things you have to do in life, and he's like, say no more. I got you, fam. Say no more. You don't have to beg. You don't have to, and I appreciate fasts and things like that, but that is not for righteousness sake. You don't change yourself more by doing more spiritual disciplines. What spiritual disciplines do is help you know more of who God has already made you to be. So when my child was first born, they were born fully in my family, a Wyrostic by DNA. No matter how many good works Lucas does, it doesn't increase his DNA to being my child. But the good works show that he is my child, representing his DNA, the Wyrostic genes, pretty well. Amen? Do you see the difference? He is not trying to achieve the DNA of a Wyrostic. He already has the DNA of a Wyrostic, and he's living up to, as Paul said in chapter 4, in the beginning of chapter 4, he is walking worthy of his calling. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of trying to be saved to try to get called to be saved? No, to live a life worthy of the calling you have, past tense, received. So now that you have received the calling to be holy, live up to it. Now that you have received a new life, now live up to it. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Thank you. So as the Bible says, even in 1 John, let me just go there at the end because we had a lot of 1 John today. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5 right there at the end. John is very specific that the commands of God are not burdensome. So when I talk about purity today, sexually, when I talk about your money, finances, not being greedy today, when we talk about our words and not having unwholesome speech today, that's not a burden. That's not hard for you if you're a child of God. It's not hard for my children at seven, eight, nine years old to sit in a church service and memorize scripture at the dinner table because they're children of a warostic. They're taught from day one to know their scriptures, to find joy in the word of God. They have a different mindset than someone who's not been taught that way. You were created in the image of God to do the things of God. In fact, 
This is love for God to go to church on Sunday and really like your pastor. You all see 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. In fact, this is love for God to share memes on Facebook. This is love for God to have a cross around your neck and to kiss it whenever you feel emotional. That's how you know when someone really loves God. That's for real. Look at your neighbor and say, for real. That's for real. Who are you to question that? They love God, man. They're kissing that cross, right? In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. So I show my love for my wife by just telling her I love her and then cheating on her, or I show my wife I love her by being obedient to the command to never harm her, to never cheat on her, till death do us part. What's true love? Me showing her, not just me telling her. To keep his commands, and his commands, the Bible says, are not burdensome. Well, when I was in the world, Pastor, before I was coming here, it was hard for me. I knew these things I was supposed to do, but I couldn't do it. It was super hard for me. You know why? Because you weren't born of God. You were trying to do what eagles do without being born an eagle. You are trying to do what Christians do without being born again a Christian. How do I know it? Scripture says it. And his commands are not burdensome, comma, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. So we're not even afraid of the world now. Listen to me. There is no sin that could cause you to, uh, no temptation to cause you to sin, no matter how crazy it is in this world. Let me give you two very extreme but, but different examples. Right now in ISIS, they start by catching the Christians, and then they kill their children first, and then they let the parents die last, and they want to try to break the community of their faith. And so it's the most horrible thing to watch your children die. If you... God forbid, were to see a sword put to your children's throat and they say to you, deny your Christianity, no matter how tempting that would be, you would overcome the world. Jesus would be faithful to you. He would make a way for you to say with all that you have within me, I can't deny him, baby, I'll see you when you get there. I'm going to heaven too. And you take it to the whole flip side. If somebody just took you right now and said, man, you really a Christian? Man, I bet you ain't a Christian. You know what? I'm going to tie you up and put you in a strip joint. Tape open your eyes and see if you're going to lust after these women. You would never lust in your heart if you said, Jesus, guard me from every filthy thing I see right now. Listen, why do I know that? Because it's the law of free will. God created it. The devil can't make you sin. And Jesus can't make you do righteous things. It was his law he established in the very beginning. Here's your choice. And so now it's yours. So those who go to hell are not being kicked there by a God who doesn't want them in heaven. Say, I don't want you here anyway. No, hell is the place people want to go because they didn't want to go where God was. Think about how God had his kingdom on earth as it was in heaven in the garden. And they said, did he kick them out? No. He said, if you don't want to be here, then eat this. And they did, and that was time to go. So if you want to know how serious God takes holiness, look at the garden. That's what he said. You disobey one time, you're out. So what are we as Christians supposed to do? We are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If we were to sin, we are to ask for forgiveness and believe that we can keep these commands and that they're not burdensome to us. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. How do we know we're winners in the end? Even our faith. 
So what is the number one appropriation of your faith? The number one appropriation of your faith is is not to believe in streets of gold. Like, man, I got so much faith. I believe in streets of gold. And I believe in these six-winged angels called seraphim and cherubim. I got so much faith. But when it comes to temptation, no, no, no. Where you're supposed to have your faith is that I am who God said I am, and I can do all that God said I can do. The commands are not burdensome from, to me. I can keep them, and I will overcome the world in Jesus' name. Because if Jesus doesn't save us from sin, then he's not a good savior. If Jesus and the devil are still arm wrestling over temptation in your life, then Jesus ain't that powerful. But as we showed before, and, and just I guess it's my second introduction, as we showed before, what does it simply say here? This reason the Son of God appeared that he might destroy the devil's work in your life. Amen? So we want to follow God's example as dearly loved children. We're children of God, born of God. That means we can do what God does. We're going to walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Everybody go, aw. Isn't that so special? And I don't mean that in a mocking way. I just mean like, oh, that's special. I'm a child of God. Jesus died for me. He died for you. He wants you to walk in love now. But what does love look like? Verse 3, let's read together. One, two, three. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Is it proper for an eagle to play with the chickens? Is it proper for an eagle to live in a pigsty? Is it proper for an eagle to swim with dolphins? That's what you look like as a Christian every time you're sexually immoral, impure, or greedy. You look improper for who God made you to be. Is it proper for my children to have dirty clothes on? Is it proper for my children to have their hair done? To have a room where they have to sleep on the floor? Is that proper? No, it's proper for them to have a bed and a home and a beautiful bedroom and all of these wonderful things. What is proper for the Christian? What is proper for us? To not be sexually immoral, to be pure, and to be generous instead of greedy. That's what a Christian looks like. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Somebody say, thanksgiving. Come on, can be every day. Amen. It can be every day of your life. For of this you can be sure. Okay, Paul wants to get our attention by saying, for of this you can be sure. What does he want us to know? Uh, For of this you can be sure. Judge not. Judge not. Judge not. Judge. Come on. Judge not. Judge not. Judge not. Judge not. Lest you be judged. This you can be sure. What does it mean, judge not, lest you be judged? We do not make a standard to make decisions by that come outside of the Scriptures. For by the measure you judge others by, you yourself will be judged by. If I see that someone is being sexually immoral and I say, you shouldn't be sexually immoral, that's improper for God's holy people. Am I judging them like a Pharisee? 
No, I'm preaching the word of God to them. Now, if I look at a woman that's wearing pants and I say, well, you shouldn't be wearing pants. You should be wearing a skirt down to your ankles. Is that a judgment found in the scripture? Do we see the length of the skirt found in the scripture? Women can't wear makeup in the scripture. Are you tracking with me? See, if I start making up rules, Jesus says, then those kind of made up rules will be applied against you. But of this, you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And these next words should put the fear of God in you right here. Verse 6 and onward. Let no one deceive you. Why would it have to warn us here against deception? Because people would be trying to deceive us. Let no one deceive you with empty words. My mouse is a little stuck here. There it is. Everybody say, I won't be deceived. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So now I'm just, come on, talk to me. Just, you know, pastor to parishioner, brother to brother, friend to friend, sister to brother here. Just, just, just talk to me for a second. What am I supposed to do with that? I mean, am I supposed to forget about that? Am I supposed to put on skinny jeans, get a latte, and tell you that's not in there? Let's just work on making your marriage better? Hello, somebody. Or am I supposed to tell you that, that there's some real truth in this Bible, and it may at times upset you, but it's because God loves you, that he knows the end from the beginning. Guys, he knows destruction. He told us even a story of someone in hell. Do you think he's just doing that? Like, let me scare you guys. There's hell and it looks like this and there's a guy there. He's begging just for a drop of water to come from another man's finger to touch his tongue. Oh, isn't that crazy? No, he's telling you the story to say, I don't want you to go there. So imagine if there was a super high intense metal detector and they, told you, uh, they tell you, if you go through this metal detector with any metal, you're evaporated the moment you do. You're done. What would you want the person before you get into that metal detector to tell you? Would you want them to say, hey, man, you look awesome with those hoops and that belt buckle. Just go on in there and see what happens. Or, hey, have a great day. I like that you have your, your metal fork with you, whatever, your, you know, your lunch. You know, I'm trying to think of an example. You carry metal around. Hey, that looks cool. Or would you want somebody, not being angry, not being mean, but would you want somebody to stand before the metal detector and be like, hold on, hold on. Before you cross over, there's some serious things you got to understand. You can't have any metal. Like no metal. No, no metal. There, there cannot be a hint. There cannot be a hint of metal. There cannot be none. No metal. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because now you walk in, you walk in, that's on you. How much more clear could our apostle make it? Make sure there's not even a hint of this. Don't continue in it. Get rid of it. Amen? And then follow God's example because of these things you can be sure no one inherits the kingdom of God. The wrath of God is coming on those things. So it's not like a middle ground. It's the kingdom of God or the wrath of God, right? And then he says, don't let anybody deceive you. Now, why would people want to deceive you? Because they get something out of it. A bigger church, more book sales, more conferences, right? Religious people get something out of you coming but not being transformed. The doctor makes more money when you're sick than when you're well. 
Nothing against the medical profession. I'm just telling you, if a doctor wanted to be dishonest, they're going to keep you sick. If a mechanic wants to be dishonest, he's going to keep your car broke down. That's why they're going to keep telling you, come to Father Tom in a dark closet because we got to absolve you of your sin. As long as you think about yourself that way, Father Tom stays employed. But there should come a day when we put them out of business and those churches become Metro Praise Internationals for the glory of God. Amen? Because if, if we're really talking the truth, it doesn't belong to a false church. It belongs to the real church. Just hand over the keys. We'll fill up the building. And I don't mean that at any disrespect. I have Catholic family members. My family was Catholic before they were born again. And the difference is religion and relationship. The difference is knowing who you are in Christ. The difference is following the apostles, not what somebody said the the apostles said. That's a false word, a false judgment. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Now, I just want to ask you to do something with me, and I mean this in all humility. As your pastor, I study to show myself approved to do one thing and one thing only. Here's the list of everything we're talking about now, 17 things the Christians should do. And I had to go through... My time of organizing this and doing all that, like, it's just my job, I get it, but I just, I'm asking you, take it serious. Would you please take it serious? Would you actually evaluate your life before you cross over and you wonder why you get blowed up on the other side? Would you take some time, as I stand here, kind of as that metal detector person between the living and the dead, would you take some time to check what's going on in your heart? Because I believe it's worth the effort, okay? It's worth your time. But as you see, that whole passage is there. You know what I did? I just simply broke it down without the verses, and I'm going to read it to you, and I'm going to ask that you follow along as we get ready to close out. And you tell me, I I don't mean this sarcastically at all, because I know you trust me to do my job well, but you tell me if I missed this, or if this is pretty serious. Even though we love church, we love you, I'm smiling, but I mean, it's like, this is serious. Did I miss it, or is it pretty clear? But among you, There must not even be a hint, sexual immorality, or any kind of impurity, or of greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or a greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. I'm going to ask for a few moments of awkward silence just as the soft piano plays. And I'm going to scroll through it again. And you just read through it as I scroll. I'm going to read through it myself privately. I might read a little faster than you, but you'll get the point here. And you just tell me if I missed anything in this passage, right? Like just, did I miss it? Just you right now, read it please to yourself. Don't have to read my definitions. Just as it flows, just read what the word says. Do you see that as a pastor, what I'm trying to have you get there? Did I mess it up? Did I put the words out of order? Did, did, did I skip a sentence? 
All I did this week, literally, all I did was just put it in an outline form and just put simple definitions by there. What's sexual immorality? It's any sex outside of the sex God ordained between man and woman in heterosexual marriage. In the beginning, Jesus said in Mark 10, God created them male and female, that the man would leave his family, the two would no longer be two but one, and that what God has joined together, let no one tear apart. So now in our culture, if somebody says, I'm same-sex attracted, I was born this way, what do we say? Be born again in the image of Christ. Keep the commands. They're not a burden. Somebody says, well, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. We love each other. We're going to get married one day. The Bible says that you're in sin. Either separate, stop having sex, but don't live this way because you can't inherit the kingdom of God right? Somebody's addicted to pornography or just looks at it, doesn't feel convicted about it, doesn't seek God to change their heart. Bible says the lust in your heart is like to commit the actual act. You're in sin. You can't inherit the kingdom of God. Should we be afraid of sin? No, I only fear God because if I know if I ever lust in my heart or do any of those things, I can ask God to forgive me and stay on the path of righteousness. What is impurity? If you look at the Bible, the definition of impurity is just immoral. To not be moral, the first one is sexual immorality. Now this covers all immoral behavior. Impurity is breaking God's commands. So to be pure is to keep God's commands. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. You will see them as a blessing to your life. What's greed? Maybe we need a little help with that. But greed is to have a desire for money and things outside of God's plan for your life. So you steal God's tithe. You're not a giver. You don't see what God has given you is to go through you. The Bible says that's greedy. You should, you should see the tithe as a way to break the attitude of greed off of your life. And by the way, from Old Testament to New Testament, nobody ever sent checks to Jesus in heaven. It's always been given to men that represent God's work. If you don't trust us, go find a church you do trust, but stop making that excuse. We in this church live with an open book policy. Anytime you show up here, you can go to the back to an administrator, get an up-to-the-date uh, expense report of everything we do in this church, including my salary in 2017's online right now. We are trying to help you overcome a distrust by saying it is so open, we have nothing to hide. But because we want you to get rid of greed, starting with the greed you have with you and God, and then become generous. We are a generous people here, amen? That's why we're debt-free, because God blesses us. You know, sometimes people say, well, I don't know what obscenity is. I get it. Every culture has their own words. I wouldn't know a Spanish bad word. You could have me saying it. So the idea isn't ignorantly saying things or things like that. No, obscenity is when you purposely say a word to be gross or vulgar out of pride and anger. And you can be obscene with even saying acceptable words. You can call somebody a dummy and be obscene if you're doing it out of anger, if you're doing it to hurt them. Foolish talk means to mock God and his commands. And it can come as subtle as somebody just like on the Facebook going, look at those people over there. They think they're holier than thou. They think they're perfect. They don't sin. What do they think? That Jesus made them a new creation or something? What do they think? They're God's handiwork? Silly Christian. Don't they know they're still sinful and a child of the devil? <laughs> the Bible says that's foolish talk when it comes to religious talk. Foolish talk can be on your job about stupid things, wrong conversations at the wrong time. I mean, you'll know as the Holy Spirit leads you. And then lastly, coarse joking. 
I recommend the new app that's out, VidAngel. You can get it, and it will stream Netflix shows. It will stream Hulu shows. Take out uh, the perversion. Take out the nudity. Take out the cussing. If you still, like me, enjoy entertainment, guard your entertainment. And if these kinds of things cause you to stumble or you see your heart be becoming hard or tempted to sin more, then just cut it out. It's not worth it. Tell your friends, I don't laugh at dirty jokes. Let people around you to know that. S live by a standard that you're not going to do those things. Amen? Why? Because the immoral, the impure, the greedy don't inherit the kingdom of God. So today, what I want us to do is just listen to what Jesus said at the end in Revelation 21.7. Everybody go, ooh. Yeah, this is the scary stuff, right? But you know, the same thing that scares other people can be happy for, for another group of people. This is the way I use the example. Like, when I go to medieval times, they set me in a section with a knight that has a color, you know? And so, like, we're with the blue knight. Blue knight, blue knight. So when the blue knight knocks down the yellow knight, all the yellow folks are like, oh, man, oh, man, that's not cool. And then how many know all the blue folks are like, yeah! right and it's the same thing in sports you know when a team wins you got you know you could be in that stadium that you know the two different teams can be there the one hits the home run all the one team stands up yeah and everybody's sitting down all upset right you know what i'm talking about there's always going to be people like that well that's the same thing at the end times what is super scary for all of them is yeah this is going to be awesome for us because we're the children of god we're actually happy evil gets ridded off the earth. Everybody that's made excuses about there being so much evil in the world, well, it's going to be taken out. And here's the deal. If evil's in you, you'll get taken out with it. So get the evil out of you so you can stay with Christ upon the new earth. Because I'll tell you what, the Garden of Eden, the rules for that have not changed. The kingdom coming on earth has to always be as it is in heaven. So nothing impure will go there. Nothing impure will go there. But we do it on ourselves? No, we do it by the blood of Jesus. Watch. Those who were victorious will inherit all this. And take time to read Revelation and all this, all the good stuff. The new Jerusalem, the lying lane with the lamb, the feast that we'll have, the river as clear as crystal coming from the throne room of God with the trees that bring healing to the nation on the side. It's going to be amazing. We get to inherit all this. Is anybody going to be there for that? Come on. And I will be their God and they will be my children. There's the choice. Boom. I want to be a child of God. So Jesus, make me new. Teach me to live like you. Done. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magical arts, the idolatries, and all liars, they will be consigned to the lake of the burning sulfur. That's the second death. Have you read this before like me and wondered why right at the beginning... He starts with the cowardly because that picture that I set up for you about ISIS was actually happening at that time and they were literally being told don't deny him when you go into the gladiator arenas and they loose the wild beasts on you Ignatius was eaten alive by lions he was a disciple of John the Apostle when you're there do not forsake your Savior when you are in Rome and they have orgies and their temple priestesses come out topless to get you to join their sex parades, stand for Christ. 
Do you want to know how Timothy was martyred? The book of Timothy named after him. He stood up for Christ in a pagan procession of, of their gods and their perversion. And as he was preaching to them, they beat him, drug him through the streets, and killed him in front of the party. Don't be afraid. What does that relate to with us? When Ellen Degenerate, I mean Degeneres, brings you on her show and in front of her whole audience and says, are you going to tell me I'm wrong for loving Portia? And you can hear the whole audience go quiet and the cameras are focused on you going out to millions of homes. You speak with the heart of Christ and say, I say this to you in love. The sexually perverse shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Of this you can be sure. Ellen, I love you. Don't let Deepak come on after me and deceive you. Don't let this liberal pastor here on the talk show deceive you. This you can be sure. But he will save you, Ellen. And he will change you. And you will be a new creation. And whatever you are trying to stick into the hole of sexual fulfillment will be filled once and for all by the love of Christ. And they bring you before Bill Gates and they say, we will support your church. We will give new Apple computers all in Chicago. We'll build you a $10 million facility. But Metro praise. all you have to say is that it's okay to believe in different religions because they all lead to the same God. And when $10 million is on the line and all of these dreams that you had that you could see being fulfilled, you don't become a coward then. You stand your ground, you look at Bill Gates and you say, listen, Bill, I appreciate it. I know you want to help people. But Bill, we must help their soul. Bill, charity in this country used to be built around the soul. The YMCA was built around the soul, Young Men's Christian Association. The goodwill was built around the goodwill of Christ and man. The Salvation Army was an army sent to the hurting areas to preach the gospel first so that souls might be saved because a hungry belly, can, a full belly can still go to hell. You stand your ground and you believe. Because if we don't believe... And if we're cowardly, we're actually lumped in with the vile. We're lumped in with the murderers. We're lumped in with the idolaters. Those who practice magical arts, ooh. Yeah, you're lumped in with the witch doctor. And here it says that's the second death. Why? Because even if you were to kill yourself, you don't just die twice as a sinner. You die again in hell forever, eternity. But here's the thing for the Christian. We only die once, but get born again twice. So do you want to live twice or do you want to die twice? I want to live twice so that when this body dies, I live again. I get resurrected with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to forever rule and reign with Him so that He might be my God and that I might be His child. Can I hear an amen today? Come on, would you stand up? Give it up for Jesus as the band and altar workers come. Come on, let's give it up for Jesus.